Well, this morning, uh, I'm excited. We're going to wrap up our series entitled, I Will, but I want to give you one special invitation, and that is uh, we are officially today three weeks from Easter. Three Sundays from today will be Easter Sunday, April the 4th. Uh, and next Sunday morning, we're going to be kickstarting our new Easter series, and it's simply called Three. And we're going to be talking about three days that change the world. Amen. Uh, three moments in the last week of Jesus Christ, in the last week of Jesus' life uh, on planet Earth. And then we're going to talk about three decisions that every person has to make in light of what Jesus has done. So three days, three moments, and three decisions. And this is going to be an amazing opportunity for you to invite your family and friends. How many of you realize that Easter is a time of year that people that normally don't go to church actually think about going to church? Uh, we're kind of coming to a thing where people are feeling a little more comfortable uh, about gathering together again. And so I want to give you a challenge this morning. I want to challenge you to personally invite somebody. Personally invite somebody to come to church with you over the next three weeks. Let them know, hey, we're starting something new for Easter next Sunday. We'd love for you to come and be a part of it. And let me give you the easiest way to get somebody to come. I found this works almost 100% of the time. Are you ready? How many of you love your family and friends enough that you realize they need Jesus? Anybody love them that much? So here's the hook that works almost every time. It's really spiritual. Say, if you come to church with me next Sunday, I'll buy your lunch. It is amazing how it works. So all you got to do is offer to buy their lunch, and they'll come to church with you next Sunday. It'll be amazing what will happen because God works. I mean, know that when people come looking for him, God always shows up. And so I really do want to encourage you on a very serious note. This is a great opportunity to invite people, and I'm serious about inviting them for lunch, too, because that does work, too, by the way. Amen? David, are you going to buy my lunch next week? I'll come to church. Awesome. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm having lots of fun this morning. Do what, Candy? David. Man, Sunday after that, lunch is on you. I'm excited. All right, so let's talk about our message today, I Will. So today we're going to wrap up this series entitled, I Will. We've been in Exodus chapter 6, and Exodus chapter 6, we have actually been looking at God is reminding Moses of his promise or his covenant that he made with the children of Israel, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's reminding Moses and the children of Israel of his promise. And he gives us in this scripture seven I wills, seven things that God says he is going to do. And over the last few weeks, we've been recognizing a couple things. Number one, we recognize that the Bible says that all the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ. Amen. That through Jesus, everything that God has promised has been fulfilled. So God said he would do it. Jesus fulfilled it. And now it's available to us through faith in the finished work of Christ. And we talked last Sunday about the importance of our yes, right? We said God has already said, yes, I will heal you. Yes, I will save you. Yes, I will deliver you. Yes, I will intervene in your life. And now we've got to say yes to God's yes, right? We've got to come into a place of faith because faith agrees with God. And we've got to come to a place of agreement where we begin to agree with God. And the moment you say yes to God's yes, not only does God get glorified, but all of a sudden the promises of God begin to be fulfilled in your life. And you begin to receive the good things that God has purposed and planned for your life. So I want to challenge you today as we kind of wrap this series up. I want to challenge you to just set your heart with a yes. 
Just set your heart with a yes. Just say, yes, Lord. I want to live with a yes written across my heart that when it comes to God's prompting and the Spirit's moving and God's word over my life, I want to live and I want to lead with a holy yes that agrees with what God has promised and purpose for our lives. Amen? Everybody with me this morning? I know y'all lost an hour of sleep, but come on now. Let me hear a good Jesus this morning. Come on. Y'all sounding good. I'm just, I'm having fun today. Are y'all okay? All right, Exodus 6, let's read this together. The Bible says this, And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And here's the first of the three promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. So when we talked about those first three last week, we said that Jesus is the burden bearer, right? He bears the burden. He will bring us out from that heavy weight. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the burden bearer. He will bear your burdens. We said not only is the burden bearer, but he rescues us from bondage. He is the bondage breaker, right? He breaks the power of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation off of our lives that we don't have to be slaves to sin because we're the sons and daughters of God and we have unhindered access to the Father because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I hope we never forget that. I hope we never take that for granted, what God has given us through His Son, that we have access to God the Father because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And then we said not only is He our burden bearer and our bondage breaker, but He has redeemed us. He literally bought us back. He purchased our deliverance, our salvation with His own blood, and He redeemed us and brought us back into a place of reconciliation, a place of renewed hope and fellowship and favor with the Father so that we can have access to everything that God has for us. Today we're going to look at those next four I wills. Look at verse 7. And God says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you, and I will give it to you as a heritage, for I am the Lord. So let's look at that first point. So God says through Jesus, I will take you as my people. I will take you as my people. Now God specifically said that to the children of Israel, to the Jewish people, that God was going to set them apart as his people. But how many of you understand that now through Christ, we get to become a part of the family of God? Can I get an amen this morning? We get to be a part of his family. This is a promise of family and community. Because through Christ, listen to this, we are not abandoned. We are not isolated. We are not separated. We are not orphaned. Hear me today. We are adopted into his family with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, and I put in my notes, and a few crazy uncles. Right? Because no family's complete without a few crazy. I think Stephen may be the crazy uncle of Liberty Church. Stephen, I think that may be crazy uncle Stephen might be what we want to call him. But how many of you know every family has a few of those crazy folks in it? Don't look too hard in the mirror because that might be you. Amen? Right? 
But how many of you know that God has done something amazing? I know we've talked about this a lot. We actually just finished up a series just uh, last month about forever family. But let me read a couple of scriptures to you again. Because this promise where God says, I will make you as my people. I will take you as my people. So God is saying to us today that as an individual, God is going to take you individually. And God is going to corporately make you something bigger than yourself. God says, I'm going to take you, a person... And I'm going to make you a people. See, a person becomes a people when you become connected to the family of God. When you become a part of what God is doing. When you become a part of His family and a spiritual community. And that's what the church is all about. That's what the body of Christ is all about. God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you my people, my family, and my community. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this. It says, God decided in advance... To adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Ephesians 2.19 says, So now you Gentiles, that's me and you, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And for all of you note takers, go ahead and write down 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Because the Bible says this, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When I have fellowship with God, guess what? I have fellowship with one another. When I walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. Why? Because when I come to Christ, Christ brings me into his family. And you guys have heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again today just for the sake of saying it because I think it's significant, I think it's important. I believe every Christian, every person needs three people in their life. I believe you need somebody that's in front of you. You need spiritual moms and dads, amen? We need people that are in front of us, people that have gone where we have not yet gone, people that have made mistakes and recovered from some mistakes, amen? People that have navigated the waters we have not yet navigated. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. We need those individuals in our life that can help us go places that we have never gone before because how many of you understand some of the best advice you're going to get is going to sound something like this. I don't know what you really should do, but let me tell you what not to do. You ever got some of that not to do advice? That's some of the best. I love that advice. I love that when somebody says, hey, I don't know what you need to do, but let me tell you what not to do. I did that. It didn't work. It blew up in my face. It was horrible. Don't go there, right? I'm so thankful for the people that have went ahead of me, that have made some mistakes, stepped on some landmines, blew off a few legs, and got up and still ran hard after Jesus, and they're willing to love me enough to speak into my life and help me to navigate through those waters. Now, let me just say something about this. Sometimes, if we're not careful... Uh, and, and it tends to be the younger you are, the younger you are, you tend to resist those that are older than you because you kind of feel like they're old and out of date. Anybody kind of know what I'm talking about? You remember when you were about 15 years old and 30 year old, seemed like they were ancient? <laughs> right? I, I, I'm, I still feel very young. I'm 49 years old and, uh, and I, I still feel 20. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? I still feel like I'm 20 years old. All you, all you, all you 40 something folks know what I'm talking about. I still feel 20. But then I look at kids that are in their 20s. I just said it. I look at people that are in their 20s, and I call them kids. And Kelly says, they're not kids. They're adults. I thought, praise God, I'm mature. <laughs> funny story. Let me tell you a funny story on how age is relevant. It has nothing to do with anything other than I think it's a great story. I won't tell it to you. Years ago, Kelly and I were at McDonald's one night. There was this little girl at McDonald's, and she was crying. Her mom had 
she thought had left her. I think she went to the bathroom. Me and Kelly are consoling this little girl, and we're talking to her, and we're trying to help her. And so Kelly asked her, she said, well, well, well what's your mama's name? And she said, Mama. <laughs> and then we were about maybe 30. Were we 30 years old? We were about 30 years old. And then Kelly says, well, what does your mom look like? She said, she's old like you. Anyway, let me tell you something. You need some old people. You need some people that are ahead of you in the journey. Amen. Don't reject the wisdom of those who have gone before you because we need spiritual mothers and we need spiritual fathers. We also need brothers and sisters. You need people that are in the same season of life as you. Right? If you're raising a two-year-old, you need some friends that are raising two-year-olds. If you're raising a teenager, you need a bunch of friends that are raising teenagers, right? You need that. If you're in the latter stage of your life and you just retired and you've got an empty nest and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with all this time on your hand, you need some friends that are retired and in that season of life. No matter what season of life you're in, you need brothers and sisters. You need people that are navigating and walking through that same season of life because there's something powerful about the camaraderie and the community that comes through brotherhood, having brothers and sisters. And here's the good news of the gospel. No matter what season you are in, there is somebody else in the body of Christ walking through the same thing you are. And you need those people in your life. Sometimes you need somebody to encourage you and somebody to correct you and somebody to challenge you and somebody to cry with you and somebody to weep with you and somebody to rejoice with you we need those brothers and sisters but let me give you the last part because I think this is the most important we need sons and daughters I think for all you men if you're if you're a child of God if you're a born-again believer you need some spiritual sons men ladies you need some spiritual daughters and let me tell you why that's important it's important because how many how many of you in here today have kids anybody here have kids how many of you remember being a kid all the hands hopefully there we go so if you had kids, let me tell you what happened. When you got married, man, that was a game changer. But when you had kids, off the charts, right? All of a sudden, there was a new level of responsibility that came into your life. And we have all seen this in our lives and in the lives of other people. When people become, when married couples become parents, or when people become parents, all of a sudden, there is a level of responsibility and maturity that should happen, right? And nothing helps you grow up like knowing that somebody else is dependent upon you. It changes everything. And I'm convinced that the reason many Christians struggle with growing in maturity in their faith is because they have spiritual fathers and mothers who are ahead of them, coaching them, encouraging them, and helping them. They have brothers and sisters who are beside them, running with them, crying with them, rejoicing with them. But they don't have anybody behind them that is looking to them. And I'll never forget years ago, Pastor Rick, before he was Pastor Rick, sat in my office one day. And he said, he said Pastor Keith, I just want to let you know. He said, you and Kelly, your family is our model. We've never seen a Christian family. We don't know what a Christian family looks like. And I just want you to know we are looking to you and we are following your example. You're our model. And I'll never forget when I heard that. I thought, oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I always kind of knew people were looking to us. But just to hear somebody actually say that, 
it was very sobering. And even though I was trying to live the kind of life I should have lived, it all of a sudden just put a little extra something in there. Because now I wasn't just living for me, I was living for them. And my mistakes were not just going to hurt me, they were going to hurt them. But my successes were not just going to help me, it's going to help them. And so all of a sudden there's a level of maturity that began to happen. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have somebody in front of you, you need to find a spiritual mother or father in the faith. If you don't have brothers and sisters beside you, you need to look around. You need to begin to pray and ask God to show you some people that are in the same season of life as you that you can build some camaraderie and community with. And if you don't have sons and daughters, you need to look behind you and say, who's a little bit behind me that I can just invest in, that I can encourage, that I can strengthen, that I can pray for, and that I can help along this journey because we have been called to family. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to move on. Sometimes you meet people... And, and I understand it because we've all been there. Sometimes you meet people that have been hurt in the church. Now, I know none of you guys in this place have ever experienced anything like that. But sometimes you get hurt by the church. And what happens is, is people say, well, I love God. I just don't like the church. And they disconnect from the church even though they still genuinely love God. But I want you to understand something. I want you to recognize that part of your redemption, Jesus redeemed you. Jesus died for you so that you, an individual, could become a people. He died for you so that you could be spiritually connected to a spiritual family so that you could grow and become what he's called you to be. And I just want to say this to you today, and I mean it with all sincerity. I believe it is impossible for you to become the person God has called you to be if you're living a Lone Ranger Christianity. Apart from the community of faith, there are some missing elements. There are missing elements that only happen in the context of family and community and we need each other and then we say well Pastor Keith I got my own family and we're our own little church yeah that's wonderful but how many of you know you need outside resources because sometimes your natural family is your biggest problem and if the only well that I'm drawing from are the people that are creating the confusion I'm going to have a hard time getting some sweet water out of a bitter well. I need resources that reach beyond my natural family because sometimes in our marriage, I'm the problem and Kelly needs help. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? She said, that's true. She was thinking, preacher, preach it, preacher, boy, is what she was thinking. So we need it. when you think about it, just think about this. Think about the fact, simple, and I'm going to move on. Jesus died. Part of your redemption is that you could go from isolation to community. That's part of the work of redemption. And to reject that is to reject the full work of Christ. Well, Pastor Keith, sometimes it just hurts, and I've been really hurt. I understand that. Let me just tell you something. God heals the brokenhearted. And I found out that if you've been hurt in church, it's probably in church that God's going to bring healing and restoration to you. Yeah. 
And God wants to use the church not to be a perfect place because we're not, but to be a place where a perfect God works through messed up people to fulfill his purpose and his plan in the lives of people. Amen? There's three scriptures there I'm not going to read to you. You can go home and read them. Philemon, Romans, and Acts, because in those three scriptures, Paul talks about spiritual sons, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, and brothers and sisters. He clarifies in those three scriptures that those are three types of people that he had in his life that we also need in our lives. So God said, I will. Look what he said. I will take you as my people. Look at that next point. God says through Jesus, I will be your God. I will be your God. Not only am I going to take you as my people, but I will be your God. This is a promise of intimacy. I want you to think about that. this. He is not just a God. He's not even just the God because he is the God, by the way. He's the only God. But he is also your God. See, this promise of redemption through Jesus is that Christ, that God would not just be God, but that he would be your God. You remember what David said in the 23rd Psalms? He says, the Lord is my shepherd it's not enough that God is a shepherd or even that God is the shepherd it's only when God is your shepherd that things actually begin to change see it's not enough that God is the God he has to be your God for you to benefit from the result of relationships so this is a promise of intimacy this is the promise of a personal love relationship not religious ritual let me tell you, when, when Moses was speaking this, and God spoke this to Moses, the Jews understood religious ritual. If you read the Bible, if you just read the Old Testament, you will find out they understood religious ritual. There was religious ritual connected to everything that connected them to God. As a matter of fact, I mean, they always had to offer something. They had to kill something. They had to wash something. They had to shave something. I mean, you can just go read Leviticus and you're going to find out there was a lot of rules, regulations, and ritual. And as a matter of fact, just think about this. Under the Old Testament model, think about this. God said, I'm going to be your people. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. But under the Old Testament model, only one person once a year got to enter the presence of God. One person once a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement got to enter into the very presence of God. And then Jesus comes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and the Bible says that when he died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And he made a way, the Bible says, through his flesh, a new and a living way that we could now enter into the very presence of God. See, the children of Israel, they understood rules and regulations. And, and they actually, they understood the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and when you read the Bible, you actually recognize not only did they have the fear of God, but they were actually afraid of God. Let me read your scripture, Exodus 20, because I, I think this happens sometimes in our lives. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. So God has come down upon the mountain. And the children of Israel are seeing this, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's sounds of the trumpet, and the whole earth is shaking under their feet. And look what the Bible says. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear you, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. 
And then Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people, look at verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And the people stood afar off. They said, Moses, you talk to God, and then you tell us what God said, but we're afraid of him, lest we die. Now, we need a healthy fear of God. Amen? And if you read that next to the last verse that we read, Moses said, don't be afraid because God wants to instill the fear of the Lord in you. Think about that. He says, don't fear God because he wants to instill the fear of God in you. What was he saying? He was saying, don't be afraid of God, but fear the Lord, revere him so that you won't sin. Amen? But I want you to understand, they understood that. They understood what it meant to be afraid of God. They understood what it meant to stand at a distance with God. But you know what they didn't understand? They didn't understand a personal God. They didn't understand an intimate God. They didn't understand a God that walked with them and talked with them and helped them and guided them and comforted them and consoled them and ministered to them on a day-by-day-by-day-by-day practice. They knew the fear of the Lord, and they stood afar from Him. And let me just challenge you with something. I think if we're not careful, even as Christians, we'll create our little checklist. Read my Bible, prayed, went to church, good for the week. We put God in this little box called religious ritual, and then we live our lives without God. And really, in essence, what we're doing is we're standing afar off when God has invited us to draw near. And I will be your God, a personal God, an intimate God, a God that wants to live in you and walk with you and talk to you, a God that wants to navigate every single area of your life. John chapter 17. Jesus comes in, as I said just a moment ago, and changes everything. He takes us from an old covenant where only one person once a year entered in the presence of God into a new covenant sealed by His own blood and His own flesh so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy to help us in time of need where we can enter into not just a relationship with God from afar, but we can actually have a up-close and personal, intimate relationship with Him. Look what He says in John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. To know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one that you sent. Jesus said the key to eternal life, you got to know God. This is the Greek word for the Hebrew word in the Old Testament where Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's intimacy. It's an experimental intimacy. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing God in a personal way. And Jesus said, this is what eternal life is. Eternal life is not religious ritual. Eternal life is knowing God. It's that personal, intimate relationship with Him. Look at John chapter 14 Jesus said when I'm raised to life again you will know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you and those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me and because they love me my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them in verse 23 Jesus replied all who love me will do what I say and my Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them 
So all of a sudden, Jesus takes us from a ritual of religion where one man once a year enters into the presence of God to a point where Jesus says, I'm going to love you, and my Father's going to love you. I'm going to reveal myself to you, and we're going to come and make our home in you. We're going to dwell in you by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's an intimate relationship. I shared this past week in our, uh, one of our small groups. I, I had this thought. I thought, well, Lord, what if I could only preach one message for the rest of my life? What would it be? And immediately my heart said, intimacy with God. Because I think intimacy with God is the key to everything. I think ministry comes out of intimacy. I think healthy relationships come out of intimacy with God. I think financial prosperity comes out of intimacy with God. I think everything that God wants to do good in our life has to be birthed in intimacy. Because he says, I will be your God. Not a far away God. And up close, live in your heart, God, that loves you and walks with you every day. Amen? Look at that next point. God says that through Jesus, I will bring you into the promised land. I will bring you into the promised land. This is a promise of process. It's the process of sanctification. I'm going to define that word for you in just a minute. I want you to think about something. In one day, the Israelites came out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. In one day, they came out of Egyptian bondage, but it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of them. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. 40 years they lived outside the promise. 40 years they came short of the glory of God. And for 40 years, God was working in them. God was working on them. God was working through them so that he could ultimately bring them to a place that they could enter in. Let me give you a definition of sanctification. The word sanctify literally means just to be set apart or concentrate, consecrated for God's use, to be declared holy. But I want to define it to you like this. Sanctification is the process through which God works out of us those things that are in us that keep us from entering his promises. Let me say it again. Sanctification is the process through which, through which God works out of us those things that are in us that keep us from entering into the promises. Think about fear. Think about unbelief. Think about insecurity. Think about jealousy. Think about pride. Think about covetousness. Think about lust. Think about immorality. Think about sexual immorality. Think about the things that are in our lives that are keeping us from really entering into the promise of God. Now what I want you to see here is that God says, I will bring you into the promise. God is committed to the process of sanctifying you. God is committed to the process of working out. But let me just tell you, that's not the end of it. God not only wants to work out, but God wants to work into our hearts and our lives the things that actually allow us to enjoy the promises. We've all seen people, athletes are a great example. You see a college, high, I mean a college superstar become a professional athlete and they don't have the character within them to sustain the success that's around them. And they turn to drugs or alcohol that ends up destroying their life. And we've all seen people who God has prospered and blessed and they didn't have the character within them to sustain the blessing around them and what was supposed to bless them financially ended up destroying them in their relationships with their marriage and their children. 
We've seen it over and over played out in different scenarios. Why? Because sanctification is not just about working out. It's about God also working into our hearts those things that allow us not just to enter in, but now to be able to enjoy the promise that God has for us. There's a great scripture in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this. He says, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So he gives us an inkling of our next little promise, that there's going to come a day when Christ returns or when we're called up to meet the Lord that we're going to step into the fullness of the promise. But right now, Paul says, I am certain that God who begun a work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Right? It reminds me of that little children's song, He's Still Working on Me. Right? Took him just a week to make the sun and the moon and, the, and Jupiter and Mars, but he's still working on me. Jesus said, my father's always at work. Think, think about what's he working on. He's working on us. Amen? He's working on me. He's working on you. He's working in our lives. What's he doing? He's working out those things that are keeping us from entering the promises, and he's working in those things that we need to sustain the promise of God once we take ownership of it. So I want to challenge you with something. I want you to think about this. If you resist the process of sanctification, you delay the promise. And sometimes you forfeit the promise from ever being a reality in your life. Let's be honest. We've all seen people that we knew, without a shadow of a doubt, were living way below their potential. You ever met somebody like that? We've all got family. We've all got friends that because of something in their life, there's something holding them back. There's something that keeps tripping them up. There's something that keeps causing them to stumble and fall. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is. But we all know people that are living way below their potential. And it's not that God hasn't blessed them, and it's not that God hasn't gifted them, and it's not that God hasn't called them. It's just that there are some things in them that are keeping them from entering into that process. And as long as you resist the process of sanctification, you delay the promise and delay the promise and delay the promise and delay the promise. And sometimes we actually forfeit the promise in this life because we're unwilling to submit to the process of sanctification. Let me just challenge you today. Let God do His work. He's committed. That's part of His redemption promise. I will bring you into the promise. God is so committed. Think, think about the children of Israel. I, in my mind, I'm just so thankful God is patient. If you know the story of the children of Israel, they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled and they grumbled and they griped and they murmured and they complained until finally God said, everybody over 20 years old is going to die in the wilderness. And they wandered around and wandered around for 40 years till everybody died. And finally a new generation stepped in to take the promise. I'm so thankful that God is patient. But I'm so thankful that he's also committed to the process. God wants you to enter in so much, he'll wait 40 years for you. Now, I don't want to wait 40 years. Amen? I don't want to wait four days. Let's just be honest. I don't even like waiting four minutes at the drive-thru. I want it now. So let me give you some good news. The more that you respond and cooperate with the process, the quicker the promises are revealed in your life. So let me just say, don't resist. Amen?
receive that process. And it's not easy and it's not fun, but it's profitable. Amen? And it's the process of sanctification. And God is committed. He's not going to stop working on you until you get there. Amen? Now look at this last promise. I want you to see this. God says not only will he bring us into the promised land, but God says through Jesus, I will give you your inheritance. I will give you your inheritance. This is a promise of possession. We will take possession of every promise of God for our life, either now or in eternity. Let me tell you some good news. And, and I don't think this should make us sloppy. I think this should make us diligent. But here's the good news of the gospel. One day, God's going to finish everything he started. He's going to finish everything he started in this world, and he's going to finish everything he started in you. Now, what we do while we're on planet Earth determines, the Bible says, Jesus said we actually get to lay up treasure in heaven. Amen? My actions and decisions now determine the treasure that I lay up later for eternity. But here's the good news of the promise. God says, I will give you your inheritance. I will finish the work that I've begun in you, either now or in eternity. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says this, And now you Gentiles, that's me and you, have also heard the truth, the good news that God says, and when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance that He promised. See, if you're born again and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, guess what? You've got a guarantee. It is that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that guarantees you that God is going to finish everything that He started and that you will receive the inheritance that He has purposed and planned for your life. But let's just be honest. There are some things that we're not going to experience until we get to heaven. Because right now we live in a temporal body that if we'll be honest, our natural bodies many times is the source of of our deepest pain sickness disease death all those things that limit us that inhibit us and that many times even cripple us from living the life that we believe and know God's called us to live now we know God heals we know God performs miracles but we also know according to scripture we live in dying bodies that until we are ultimately redeemed through our final inheritance we're not going to see the greatness of what God has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to see this. Paul says this. He says, what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? Is that, or what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. And it'll happen in a moment, the blink of an eye. He's talking about the rapture. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Look at verse 53. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then our dying bodies will have been transformed into bodies that will never die. This, this scripture will then be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. See, there is an ultimate inheritance that we receive in Christ, that this world is not our home. See, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we stay frustrated with life 
is because we're too focused on life and not focused enough on eternity. The Apostle Paul made a great statement. He said, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. Why? Because he understood that there was another level of redemption that would come, that we would ultimately redeem or cash in, so to speak, on our final inheritance only when we cross from this life into eternity. So imagine this. One day, you're going to have a new body that will never die. You're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sickness and there is no sorrow and there is no pain and the curse of sin is gone. That's the promise of our eternal inheritance. And if you don't know that, and if you don't recognize that, and if you don't live for that, then, then what happens is you get discouraged with the temporal because if you think this is all there is, then life is hard. But if you know that this life is just a launching pad to get me into eternity, then I can have hope and strength and courage, and I can endure the hard knowing that there is a promise that's eternal that will never fade away. And I don't know, I, I, was, I, was, I was telling uh, Samantha this week, I said, and I didn't get to do this, but I, I don't know what our glorified bodies are going to look like. I kind of imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger with my head on it. It's going to be pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Let's bow our heads together. I want to do two things today. I, I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're watching me online, you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're born again. You have that promise of that eternal inheritance. But I want to challenge you with something. I want to ask you today, are you embracing the process of sanctification? Is God trying to work some things out of you? And God, Is God trying to work some things into you? Are you resisting that? Are you holding on to some things God said let go of? Are you trying to maintain some things that God wants to release from your life? I want to just encourage you today, just say yes to Him. Don't resist that process. Know that God is committed to His promise being fulfilled in your life. Don't resist that process of sanctification. Let Him work out and let Him work in those things. Stop fighting for things that are only crippling you and hindering you and defeating you. Stop holding on to those things that are holding you back from entering into the promise that God has. And I don't know what that thing is in your life, but you do. It's right now on the forefront of your mind. You know that very thing right now that's holding you back from entering in. Let go of it today. Just confess it and give it to God. Say, Lord, that's sin. I'm holding on to something that's holding me back from entering in and I want to give it to you if you're here today and you're Christian the second thing I want to challenge you with is this if you've stood at a distance and maybe you've kind of lived on the outside of the Christian community I want to challenge you take that step to get in just dive right into the family just jump right on in find find a father and a mother find some brothers and sisters Begin to find some sons and daughters and just, just jump into the family. Refuse to allow what Jesus died for to be incomplete in your life. Embrace the family of God. And let God do in you and let God do through you what only He can do in that context of family. So if you're a Christian, those are my two challenges for you. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm not a Christian. 
I don't have that promise in my heart of eternal life. Jesus called it being born again. He said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And if you've never experienced what it means to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and have Him to come into your heart and your life and be your God. Not just a God, not just the God, but to be your God. Then the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. So if you're here today in person or you're watching online, this is what I want to ask you to do. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be born again. Today I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Today's my day. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Just type in that comment box. I'm raising my hand. But if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today's my day. I want to be born again. I want to come into the family of God. I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to ask Jesus today to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to surrender to Him. If that's you right now, this is your moment. Online, in person, it doesn't matter where you are. God knows right where you are. And He's calling your name because He loves you. So I want us just to pray this prayer together. Let's just bow our heads again. As, as every head is already bowed, let's just say this together. I want you to repeat after me. Everybody here today, let's just do it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe He rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sin come into my heart and my life be my Lord and my Savior I commit my life to following you and I receive today the gift of eternal life in Jesus name Amen Amen let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today Well, we love you guys today. Let me remind you, the Youth Bake Sale is in the youth room. Stop by there. Support our young people. God bless you. We love you so much. If you're new to Liberty, make sure to grab a gift bag on the way out today. And uh, come back and see us next Sunday and invite somebody to come with you. Amen. You're dismissed.